realizing the power of Christ is in us. I had to tell you, I was a little had little reservations when I first heard him, in that maybe he's one of these hyper faith people. But I quickly learned that that's not the case. He was solid in the word of the word. Anyway, um, I want us to get started on this. So I want to set a baseline for what I'm going to be talking about today. I want us to see directly from scripture something that we already know. As you know, I'm a down to basics guy. I'd like to get down to the very beginning because when you find my when I find myself deviating or doing something not exactly kosher, I always want to go down to the basics. When you see a baseball player that his swing is off or or that he's not seeing the ball or that he's not pitching, I speak because I was a baseball coach for like 20 years. And I always took him back to the basics. Let's get down to the basics so we can correct the problem. I'm not saying we have a problem, we might, but I want us to get down to the basics. So let's look at this truth to cement it in our minds to let it be part of our mindset <clears throat> that we are people of two realms. We are people with a body that needs to be fed and needs to breathe, needs to be cleansed, hopefully, personal hygiene. I've sat next to some people that... Uh, we, we are also spiritual beings... And our spiritual being needs to eat and drink and needs to be fed and needs to be cleansed. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 10.28 says, And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Both of these verses uh, allude to to a third concept that we're going to leave on the table for now for another discussion. And that's the difference. What's the difference between soul and spirit? If you press me afterwards, we can go into it. But let's move on here. Ecclesiastes 12 and 7 says, And the dust returns to the earth as it is, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And James 2.26 says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. One more. John 3.6 That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. These are just a few of many verses in the Bible that speak to the difference between the body and the spirit. So everyone's clear on that. I know it's basic stuff. Are there any questions on that? Okay. Let's speak briefly about the body. The Bible refers to our bodies in different terms. To name a couple, the Bible refers to the body as 
the flesh, or an earthen vessel, or jars of clay. You can find that in 2 Corinthians 4 and 7 and 2 Timothy 2.20. These last two suggest that the, the earthen vessel and the jars of clay suggest that it is a container for a spiritual entity. That being said, apart from the spiritual nature, what is the most important asset that this human body has? If I was to tell you, what is your most prized possession? It wouldn't be your car or your bank account or your 401k. I would suggest to you that it is your health. Because we have know of millionaires and billionaires that have all this money and all these possessions, but their health is gone, and what they wouldn't give to get that health back. And what are the two things that are prescribed to keep your body healthy? And that is diet and exercise. How many times have you heard it? Diet and exercise. Is there... Anyone here that can say that a proper diet and regular exercise are not essentials to the human body? I didn't think so because we hear it over and over of how an unhealthy diet can open up yourself to disease and or to cellular breakdown. And what about exercise? If you're not rising regularly, your body is deteriorating I mean, it's deteriorating anyway, but it's deteriorating faster. So here's my next question. If it is so important, why are people not taking care of their bodies properly? Don't raise your hands. Just think of the answer. Are you eating and exercising as you know you should? Just ponder that question and answer it to yourself. And just to, to realize if you answer to the negative, here's something that will say that misery loves company. Here's a quote from The Atlantic, uh, which is a news uh, uh, site. It says that less than 3% of Americans meet the basic qualifications for a healthy lifestyle. According to the new study published by the Mayo Clinic Proceedings. So what's keeping Americans from meeting these qualifications? Here's another quote. Some of the barriers cited by consumers looking to improve their health include a lack of understanding and boredom. That's what they say is keeping them from exercising or dieting properly. All right, okay. So by now you're saying to yourself... Brother Dan, I came here for a Bible study, not to hear a health seminar. And you're not going to get one. You're absolutely right. I'm not going to give you one. I am merely trying to set up some parallels here. I set up at the beginning that we are people of two realms. The physical and the spiritual. So let's talk a little bit about the spiritual side. The spirit, not your body, is the real you. You are being temporarily housed in this body, which we said earlier is called your earthly vessel. 
When you die, your spirit leaves this vessel and moves on to your eternal destiny. Either one or the other, we both know. Your body, now devoid of the spirit, is buried or cremated and returns to his original state. Dust. Ecclesiastes 3 and 20, Psalms 9 and 90 and 3, Job 10 9, and there's to name a couple that tell us this. So let's not stop thinking about the body just yet, because although this body will decompose back to dust, Scripture promises that you will get a new glorified body at the second coming of our Lord. Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So we're going to get a new transformed body, but what will this body be like? Well, we don't know for sure, but the scriptures do tend to give us little glimpses if you dig deep enough. And maybe, just maybe, that is what described when Jesus was on the mountain of transfiguration. We read in Matthew 17 and 2 that, And as he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And again, we get another glimpse in Revelations 1, we will get another peek at the glorified Jesus. In verse 12 of Revelation 1, it says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of these lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash, Around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, when we see Jesus, our only response is going to be like John's. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. By this that he spoke to John, we know that it was Jesus. Again, I say, we do not know for sure what our bodies were going to look like, but since Jesus is the only one that we know of that has died and has received a glorified body, 
Maybe that's a peak of something similar we have waiting for us. So let's talk about our spirit man. Like I said, the spirit man is the real you. Your body is just where you are being temporarily housed. And some bright morning when this day is done, I'll fly away to at home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. That's what we're going to do when we leave this body. On Monday morning, my dear Aunt Pauline flew away to God's celestial shore. She's gone. But tomorrow, Lord willing, I'll be there in San Antonio with the rest of the family to celebrate her life and to bury her earthly remains. It's not her we are burying, but the jar of clay that used to that she used while she was here with us. We will be sad, yes, but not for her, for us, because we'll miss her wit, we'll miss her charm, we'll miss that peculiar laugh that she had that always brought a smile to your face. You see, we had been praying for her over the last couple of weeks, but she made her desires known to the family That she was ready to go to, and she was wanting to go to be with the Lord. So we switched our prayers. That God grant her departure. And God did. Although she had cancer in her insides, she did not experience pain. She was surrounded by her family whom she blessed And requested of her two sons that they remain faithful to God. She then closed her eyes and was gone. The day after her 87th birthday. Thank you Lord for your loving kindness and your faithfulness. I pray that's the way I go. Just go to sleep and wake up in front of the Lord. She had a strong faith. And a spirit that was vitally connected to the spirit of God dwelling in her. How did she achieve that? Our spirit, little s, not to be confused with the Holy Spirit, capital S, living in us. As Dr. Lee explained so well last weekend, the Holy Spirit is in us and moves us, moves in us, directs us into places and situations where he can manifest his his power, not our power, so he can manifest his power over, over that situation or wherever it is that he leads us. Romans 8 and 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This verse clearly shows that there is a connection and a, and a communication going on with our spirit and the Holy Spirit. However, just like the body needs diet and exercise, just like our human body needs to be nourished and exercised, how do we do that to our spirit? It is with two disciplines again, 
prayer and Bible study. And just like diet and exercise for our human body, both prayer and Bible study is so vastly neglected. And I believe for the same reasons, lack of understanding and boredom. In a forward to uh, Dr. Or Dr. Robert Traina's book, Methodical, Methodical Bible Study, this is the book I'm reading and I'm just pouring over it because it's amazing. And in, in the foreword, Dr. Carolyn Palmer writes this, which is very insightful. How dusty is your Bible? That question might have been asked of many a person who would be ashamed not to own a Bible, but to whom it is an unknown book beyond a few characters, some chapters, and scattered verses that they've heard from others. How true is that? I know people that have been in church for years and they know a smattering of verses that they have learned through the years of just hearing them repeated from the pulpit or in Sunday school, in VBS, and etc. Oh, they know about Moses and they know about David and they know Jesus and they know Paul. But they give you a blank stare when you ask them or you mention the name of Mordecai or Naomi or even as important as Rahab which was a prostitute in Jesus' genealogy. Let me ask you a rhetorical question. That means you don't have to answer. Just ponder the answer. Have you read through the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation? And and the, those that can answer yes, could. Give yourselves a a boy, a pat on the back for reading the entire Bible. Give yourself an A. However, reading and studying are two different activities. Although you do learn by reading, it is during intense study that you discover nuggets you missed in reading. It is in studying that you cement principles into your spirit, lowercase s. For example, in studying Matthew, you start the chapter, chapter 1, and you start reading Jesus' uh, genealogy. Oh, hum. Have you got through those, this begot that, and that begot another? But you're faithful, you're reading through it, you're going to study in depth. And you get to verse 5, and you read, And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And that rings a bell because you've read the Bible through. And you realize that you've seen that name before. Rahab, I know I've seen it. So you take out your concordance, and you look her up. You find that she was a prostitute from Jericho that saved the Israeli spies. And then you look up Boaz and you see that he married Ruth. 
And, and the Holy Spirit will start making the connections for you in your mind and make you realize that Boaz was the kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi. And Ruth was a Gentile. And now Jesus is the redeemer of the entire earth, which means that we Gentiles, he is our redeemer. So you see, there is a... There is a uh, synchrony. There is a, a symmetry. There is a connection with all the Bible. It's one whole. For the word of God, it says in Hebrews 4 and 12, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and spirit. Of joints and marrow and a discerning of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And Second Timothy, again in 3.16, about scripture, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So you see, you're not merely reading a book. You are reading God's instrument that is alive and that is active, that the Holy Spirit is in you, in communion with you. Remember your spirit and the Holy Spirit, and is working to teach you, to train you, to correct you, and serves as a mirror for you to look into your life, and it measures your walk with God. So my next rhetorical question, are you studying your Bible? It can be an overwhelming task, I know. But like your school days, you remember that? Uh, for me and Pastor, it might take a little stretch of our memories to get back in the classroom. You had to schedule a time to study. And you had to be methodical. Here, as I showed you the book I'm reading... It was first printed in 1952, but it is still used by Bible colleges to treat, to teach. And it is heavily quoted by modern books on Bible study. It's a little on the heady side, but uh, it is extremely practical. Some other sources can assist you in Bible study, such as a concordance. A Bible dictionary and a Bible atlas. I left the commentary for last because it should be used last. The Holy Spirit should be your interpreter of Scripture, not another person, because if you think about it, a commentary is another person's interpretation of Scripture. And you need the Holy Spirit to be your interpreter of Scripture, not somebody else. But they can be helpful to give you a comparison of your interpretation. But again, I say only as a last resort. A Bible study does not, or rather, should not take place in a vacuum. It is powerful and effective when you combine it with the other spiritual discipline. The other discipline we'll be discussing, prayer. Again, prayer is such a neglected activity. Let me ask you a question for you to think about. Don't answer again. Don't answer out loud. 
Think about it. Now I'll give you a second pause so you can tally up. How much total time do you spend in prayer on your average day? And I tell you, you can even add your your prayers at mealtime. Would the total be less than five minutes? Fifteen minutes? Thirty? To help you feel a little better about uh, yourself, let me quote you some statistics. According to Barna, the average Christian spends only one minute. Un minuto en oración, Hector. Solamente. That's just one minute of prayer each day. And the average pastor spends five minutes. Wow, he's way ahead of the curve. I can tell you, that doesn't describe our pastor. I would like to think that this task, this, 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 this stat does not apply to our church with all the opportunities we have for prayer. But should I think that? Our Wednesday morning prayer time, correct me if I'm wrong, Pastor, is attended by staff and one other family? Huh? Okay, good. It's growing. Our Sunday morning prayer room is seldom half-filled. Our Friday evening prayer has four faithful families that rarely miss and three or, other, three or four other families that attend regularly. I'm sorry, folks, but in a church this large, that to me is paltry. Please don't be mad at me. I love my church. I love all the people in it because I am also talking about me. Oh, I'm here every Friday, but... Not on Wednesday mornings or on Sunday mornings. As everyone can, I can tell you, give you all kinds of reasons why I don't. But every time I open my mouth to explain myself, I hear an old coach I used to have. When I would start giving him excuses, he said, hey, Dan, you know, excuses are like armpits. Everyone has two And most of them stink. So quit stinking up the place and get to work. My coach got me on the straight and narrow. So why are people not praying? Let me give you a couple of reasons why we don't pray regularly. We includes me. And then give you uh, why prayer is so beneficial. Then we can come and pray. First of all, the main reason we don't pray regularly is that we lack spiritual discipline. Oh, we may be saved, sanctified, and spirit-filled, but lack the discipline to carve out some time to spend some time in prayer. I know, I know I should pray, but time just gets away from me. And I say to myself, oh, I have to pray, yes, I have to pray, Later. And by the time it's time to bed, I'm too sleepy, Lord. I'll pray first thing in the morning. And morning gets here and what happens? Nothing. That's what happens. 
Jesus knew so well our human uh, ways. He says this in, in Matthew 14 and 38, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. However, in this case, the flesh overrides you, your spirit. You are your spirit. Again, here you see the dichotomy. Uh, that is the division of the flesh and the spirit. Another reason that we let discouragement creep in, is, and that's it. We let discouragement creep in. Jesus said in Luke 18 and 1, they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Which means that we can lose heart. We get discouraged. And we get discouraged when we don't see instant results. Have you been praying for something and not seen results? Jesus says, keep praying. The angel of the Lord <clears throat> told Daniel, fear not, Daniel, for from the very first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Your words, your prayer impacts heaven. And just because you don't get microwave answer to prayer does not mean God is not working. God is working. Yet another reason is found in God's pronouncement to the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation 2 and 4. It says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. That's my translation. In most translations that you might know is that you have left your first love. He commends them for their work. They do good work. They have patient endurance, but in the process and of all the tedium, of all the trials and, and, and tribulations, they have taken their tolls and they have lost their first love. The weight of trials and tribulations may have taken a toll on you. And no longer do you have that fervency or that spark that you once had. And then the Lord, like the spirit, like the words to Ephesus, he calls you to repent. And finally, you, and, and it's a rhetorical you, you have allowed for sin to creep into your life. Oh, I'm not talking about what the Catholics call cardinal sins. It may be what some consider a minor sin. Oh, a little gossip here. Help me pray for sister because you know what's happening in her life. Or maybe a little white lie. Or maybe you take a pencil from, oh, what's a pencil? Duke's rich. Folks, sin is sin. That white lie has the same corrosive effect on your, on your soul as does murder. Think about how true this quote is from John Bunyan. If he was a pioneer that, that wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Prayer will make a man cease from sin as sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. 
You see, our tendency when we sin is to be like Adam and Eve. What did they do when they sinned? When they sinned? They ran and they tried to hide from God. And so do we. We foolishly run from his presence in prayer. When we should be doing the opposite. As we are told in Hebrews 4 and 16. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That he may receive, we may receive mercy and find grace in the help, and help in the time of need. Instead of running away, we should be going to the source of power and mercy and forgiveness. So, now let me give you a couple of reasons why we should be praying. And they may be like, duh, I know that, Dan. But I told you at the beginning, I'm a basics kind of guy. So let me run through them. First and foremost, the reason that we pray is because God said so. There are countless verses in scripture where God is calling us to pray. So if God is telling us to pray, it is an act of obedience to pray. And we know how much Jesus values obedience. In Jesus Uh, says in John 14 and 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He not only commanded us to pray, he set an example of how, when, and where to pray. And we could see it. He would go in the morning. He would separate himself. Secondly, We should pray because in prayer, we communicate with God. He wants us to pray. He longs for us to pray. Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. He tore the veil separating us from the Holy of Holies. We no longer need a priest to intercede for us. It is up to intercede for ourselves and for our families. And for others. Also we should pray. Because in prayer. We release God's blessings. Unto ourselves. And unto others. As we learned this weekend. And we saw it manifested. As we prayed for people. And people were healed. It is a covenant of prayer. That God established long ago. A covenant is an agreement. A bond between two persons. In a covenant agreement there is a benefit that is established. If both parties meet the conditions of that agreement. Listen to the word if. Which establishes the condition. And then the word then. Which spells out the benefit of this covenant. In Second Chronicles 7 and 14. God establishes this covenant of prayer for us. It says. If my people who are called by my name. We call ourselves what? Christians. That's Christ's name. We are people of Christ. We are his people. 
We are called by his name. He establishes our identity right there and there. What are we supposed to do? Humble ourselves. How do we humble ourselves? Well, sometimes we come into the prayer closet trying controlling things. We say, God, this is the way I'm going to do it now. Bless it. We need to humble ourselves. We're not the end all. We aren't the kemosabis. We are this and God is this. So we come into our prayer closet with a humble attitude. As the, 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 uh, the blessed are, uh, they said, blessed is the poor in spirit, for they shall be filled. Because the, we are poor. We, we have nothing to bring to God. So we come humbly. So if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. How do you seek God's face? Oh, Holy Father, you know, thank you, Father. Now, this is what I want for you to do for me today. No. God, please manifest yourself. I need you. I long for you. I need you. You are the Holy One of Heaven. And I can do nothing without you. Lord, manifest yourself. Oh, here's the hard part. And turn from our wicked way. Brother Dan, I am not wicked. No. Good for you. But if you are, you need to turn from your wicked ways. Then there's a turn. Then, what does God promise to do for if we meet the conditions? I will hear from heaven and will forgive you of your sins and heal your land. We could spend a lot of time here, but I want us to pray. Another reason we should pray is because in prayer, we are partnering with God for the work of his kingdom. I am yours, Lord. What do you want me to do? How do I go? We can move in his anointing. And as we learned from scripture and from teaching, demons will have to flee. The Holy Spirit is in us. As we walk in his anointing, demons will have to flee. And when we pray and we seek his face, we experience God's manifest presence. Have you been in prayer and felt God's presence? And that he's just, oh God, I know you're in me, but it's just so awesome to feel you, to, to feel your presence in, in me. And when, we, when, we, when our prayers are answered, we are encouraged and we have a testimony to give God glory. Tammy's testimony gave God glory, but it did something else. It encourages me that what he did for Tammy, he can do for me. It's encouraging. And finally, we pray together. When we pray together as in Friday night prayer, it strengthens our bonds with fellow believers. We are like that movie, The Band of Brothers, that we enter into spiritual battle together and there's a camaraderie there. There's a bonding that we have. That's why our prayer group is just so strongly 
closely knit. I feel such a bonding with my fellow prayer warriors. And when Josie and I, this is for married couples, when Josie and I pray together, I literally feel a surge of spiritual power as God moves in us. When we, when we married, what the scripture says, we become one. So the way I see it is me praying alone is like half a prayer going up or half a, a, a spiritual person going up and praying. But when, when Josie and I pray together, wow, God is so pleased. So I encourage you. As your self-appointed spiritual trainer, as a personal trainer, as we started. As a self-appointed spiritual trainer, keep on pumping. Read. Study. Pray. Let's stand. I want us to not lose what we have this weekend. I want us to come out. If anybody needs prayer, let us line up right here. And those that took their training on on Saturday, let's come and they move in the anointing of God. It wasn't Dr. Lee that was doing it. It was the Holy Spirit that was doing it. It's the Holy Spirit in us too. So we don't need Dr. Lee to come and lay hands on us. We can lay hands on people and people can be healed. So if you need prayer, come. There's plenty of warriors here to pray for you. Don't ask me, don't let me ask again. Come on. Nobody? Well, then we all come up and pray then. Pray for me, because I'm going to San Antonio and I'm speaking at the funerals, and I need the word of God to go forth to Hallelujah. To those people that don't believe will come out in the power of Jesus Christ. So please lay hands on me. Nobody else wants prayer? I want prayer. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. You're my glory.